we've been hearing the narration of the events leading to the appearance of Krishna in um, Mathura. We heard about the auspicious spiritual nature of the place and various um, players in transcendental drama have been named and described. And um, more than once now, the expansion of Krishna and the Shakti of Krishna have been mentioned. And the demon Kamsa has been described, the events, the marriage of Devaki and Vasudev and the oracle from the sky and so on and so forth. So, again now today, we have mention of the Angs of Krishna in, in a couple of ways and his Shakti. Yogamaya. Hmm. Bhagavanapi Vishvatma Vidva Kangsajambayam Yadunam Nidja Natanam Yogumayam Samadhishat. To protect the Yadus, Bhagwan, who's the soul of everyone, to protect them from Kamsa. So it was described that uh, here in the Bhagavatam, we haven't gone over this part, but um, after the oracle that uh, predicted that the eighth son of Devaki would be the death of Kamsa. Kamsa was about to kill his sister on her wedding day in the midst of the um, procession, the wedding procession. And Vasudev, his brother-in-law-to-be, um, tried, tried to stop him with philosophy and uh, sweet words and reasoning and so forth and ultimately he was not successful in all of these attempts and so he um, volunteered that Kamsa didn't have anything to worry about he would deliver Vasudev would deliver deliver each and every son born of Devaki to Kamsa so then he could do what he wanted with the children. Hmm? So he had some idea that uh, to, spare the, to spare the mother at this point would be more important even at the cost of the children, potentially, and then who knows what will happen in the future anyway. He was buying time. And it was, as I mentioned, I think we concluded on this point, by the strength of Vasudev's character that Kamsa was pacified, influenced, and and backed away from the horrible deed that he was about to perform, the kind of things that we uh, people find themselves doing as a result of attachment, right? 
people can uh, become pretty uh, ugly. So, um, and we all are, to one extent or another, is the, is the point. This is not becoming. Hmm? To be attached to that which doesn't belong to us is is not a very um, auspicious position. Um, so this is the height of it, in a sense. Here, he's going to kill his own sister on, on her wedding day in the middle of the procession in front of everybody. It's, uh, can, it can, it uh, can get that bad, but we should try to appreciate the, the larger point that it, it's a bad position to be in, period, hmm? to be attached to things that uh, don't endure. Hmm? He was attached to his sense of self, he was going to die, we all have to die, this is inevitable, and um, death means that we can't take anything with us, so that's, again, as I've said many times, that's why it's a, a problem, because we're attached to things we can't keep, otherwise, if we're free from such attachments, then it takes the kind of the, the fangs out of the serpent of death. There still be a change, a transformation, that uh, under the influence of time, but not a painful one, not a troublesome one. So the solution is to die now to the ego of possessing, of of enjoying, of false ownership, and so forth. Of course, that's not so easy. That's a that's difficult, but it's a beautiful death at the same time. The more we die in that connection, the more, the more beautiful we become. <clears throat> so we have to kind of give a death to the killing tendency within us, because in this world, in terms of our material sense of self, one living being is food for another. Hunters and the hunted. <clears throat> so comes a Demon comes, illustrates this, exemplifies this to the extreme, kind of how bad it can get. And um, uh, so Vasudev had a hard time pacifying him, but when he vouched um, for, uh, you know, he gave his promise, he gave his word that he would deliver the sons of Devaki. Then the character of Vasudev was such that Kamsa was impressed. So I think we ended on this point that the character is uh, important. The the example is important. The precept is important too, but it has to be backed by realization in order for it to have real um, power. Why keep a barren cow? It doesn't give milk. Sometimes this example is given. So a blank gun may make a noise, but it cannot um, deliver the bullet, something like that. So to know the theory is not sufficient. Knowing the theory is only as valuable as we take that knowledge and theoretic knowledge and translate it into practice to bring about a change, um, change of heart, not just collecting 
information. And we do have these type of speakers of the Bhagavatam, and largely I've seen in India also, or largely in India, the kind of professional reciters of the Bhagavatam, and they come for seven days and uh, recite the Bhagavatam. And it's a big uh, event in the village, and they have Ferris wheels and cotton candy, and literally, you know, kind of a thing all to go with it. And it's, a, it's uh, entertainment. It's a nice form of entertainment, comparatively, the extras aside. Um, but it doesn't tend to change people's hearts. So they entertained by that, and they go home and continue conduct themselves as they as they did before, even the speaker, um, as before, the before that perhaps the audience doesn't know about. Or you have the professional kirtaniers, the same thing, and afterward they're smoking and drinking, and they can make a nice kirtan, a nice song. But as far as change, they haven't changed their own hearts, so what about how effective will they be in changing the hearts of others? So this uh, theory and all this outreach of uh, as it sometimes may be referred to requires some backing. That's why Sukadev was so potent here, the young boy. And it's, this is noted in the beginning of this this canto by Maharaj Pariksit when he says, Nivritatarshe or Ubugiyamanat. He had no ambition. Hmm? Out, of, uh, out of compassion only he was speaking this, out of a fullness. So, <clears throat> so Vasudev was a great uh, Vaishnava, and his character was such that that was convincing to Kamsa. Even though he, everyone, as I said the other day, is not a Kamsa, fortunately, so we can get, you know, <laughs> a little further with the theory with some people. Of course, again, it should be backed with realization, but even though he was backed with realization, the theory wasn't doing much for for Kamsa. But his word, Kamsa told this guy, he, you know, he'll never... He'll never break his word. Hmm? So, all right. He accepted. But as we see later on, we find what? That Vasudev did break his word. Hmm? He didn't deliver the eighth child to to Kamsa. Rather, he stole in the night and took him across the river Jamuna to Vrindavan. All that uh, part of the narrative is ahead. So... This says something, too, about the character of the Vaishnavas, and we talked about it a little bit in relation to Mathura, the, the circle of Krishna's uh, birth and uh, subsequent childhood leelas. It's beyond piety and impiety. The famous Gaudiya, um, Acharya Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, who wrote the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's a very beautiful book. Uh, he said there that, in, in the context of writing it, he, a wave of humility came over him, hmm? thinking of the task that uh, he had been uh, given by the seniors in Vrindavan. He he was living in Bengal. <clears throat> With, in his brother's house, and a great uh, devotee of Gora Nityananda came to the house, and uh, he was very uh, extraordinary, f- 
fellow who used to carry a flute and and um, he was filled with Sakyabhava, friendly love for Krishna and uh, he would he was kind of unorthodox like Nityananda himself and um, so at any rate at the time the his brother showed some disregard for this. His name was Miniketan Ramdas. And Ramdas could understand, oh, he has regard for Chaitanya, but he has no regard for Nityananda. He thinks Nityananda's people are all crazy. He has no regard for them, he said. So he was upset. He broke his flute there and left the place. And Krishnadas, who was living there, he could understand this, that Oh, he, he said, this is like a half a hen logic, except there's two holes in the hen mouth and in the side where the eggs come out. So man has, was raising chickens and selling the eggs, and he thought, from one hole I'm making money, the other hole is costing me money. I have to put feed in it. So no problem, I'll cut off the head. Then I won't have to spend any money. Of course, he went out of business pretty quickly. So... This is a kind of logic, anyway. Half a hen logic, it's called. He said, this man, my brother has half hen logic. He accepts Gore, but not, not Nityananda, which means uh, accepts Krishna, but not Ram. He doesn't really understand Krishna. He doesn't really understand Chaitanya. So um, it's a false shadow only of um, uh, appreciation for so I'm leaving the house, he said. That's how I'm out of here. I won't stay in a house like this. And so he was homeless. And that night, then in a dream, Ram, Balaram came to him, dancing with his associates, intoxicated, chanting the name of Krishna and so forth, and blessed him. You go to Vrindavan, there you'll find all, all your, your needs will be taken care of. Go to Vrindavan. So with the blessing of Nityananda Prabhu, he went to Vrindavan, and there he was embraced by the senior Vaishnavas, and they gave him the task of writing this book, Chaitanya Charitamrita, which consisted of taking the various narrations of Chaitanya's leelas by different previous authors and um, interfacing that with the notes of Sarup Damodar and Raghunathas, who had lived with Chaitanya in Puri for 18 years, and then presenting those that biography and in the context of that, the, the whole, the precepts, the, the crystallized kind of understanding of Chaitanya given by Rupa and Sanatana Goswami, that has become the standard, excuse me, understanding of of this, the far-reaching significance of his uh, appearance. So it's it's written in Bengali. I've said before, the Chaitanya appeared in Bengal, and um, the Goswamis, uh, understanding him, they took the precepts that he had learned from him and wrote about them in Sanskrit, which is the universal kind of religious language at the time. So they universalized the Chaitanya of Bengal, hmm? And uh, in the eyes of the people, they introduced him in a way that was um, in the language that the sophisticated people who had a kind of a hold on religion, if you will, 
uh, spoke. And so then the Krishnadasa took that same teaching and put it back into Bengali, which is more common language to give to the common people. The Goswami's teachings, along with the narrative of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life. Very wonderful book. So anyway, he was humbled by the task that was uh, given to him. And he was very old, actually, when he wrote it. He, he was almost blind and he had arthritis and so forth. could hardly hold a pen. He mentions all these things in, in the book. But at any rate, at a certain point, uh, a wave of humility overcame him and he said, what is my position here writing about this? He said, um, I am this lower than a worm in the stool, he said. This is my position. <laughs> he had a very um, 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 it's a, it's an, it's, it speaks of how as we grow spiritually our shortcomings will be magnified in our own eyes because as we come closer to that which is completely pure the smallest impurity looms large for us so when great saints speak about their impurities we feel embarrassed we think if only I had that impurity that would be an ornament <laughs> for me something like that but uh, it's a real perception on their part as they grow and come closer to the to the purity of the absolute any they, they the, the fact is that material uh, attachments and whatnot aside we're small and so to interact with the big if you will the finite to interact with the infinite and on on um, intimate terms it requires some kind of special arrangement that's it's it's beyond ourselves our own individual capacity to to make that happen so the whole thing we see we experience it as as a grace and we're we're humbled by that we feel by nature we're defective we're and then we're prone to this we're prone to imperfection we find ourselves here and here we are to come to, to the embrace of that which is not prone to such perfection itself personified. So, um, so we find with many great saints they write like this. They feel like this. This is kind of the philosophical reality of it. <clears throat> and so, anyway, he said like this. Uh, he said, if anybody. Here's my name. Um, they lose their piety. If anybody chants my name, they'll commit impiety. Hmm? This is my position. So he thought it's painful for us to hear this kind of thing. But I've always thought of it a little bit differently, and and that being that if we could hear the name of Krishnadas. Kaviraj, his name, then we could become free from um, impiety, free from piety. We lose our piety. <laughs> That's good. Because piety uh, is also a problem. Hmm? Uh, by material piety, we can never get Krishna bhakti. It's, it's not a 
It's not a product of this world. We, on our own strength, in other words, we can be pious. And uh, with the little free will we have, we can choose to do good things and so forth, and, rather than bad things. But uh, just being a good person, materially speaking, is, is, is nowhere in terms of the ideal of, uh, of Krishna Bhakti. It's not a prerequisite. It's, it can't be, it can't, nothing we can do can cause that. It's a, it's a causeless kind of event. It's, it's not coming from within the realm of cause and effect, which is karma, which means good and bad, piety and impiety. Hmm? Um, so it's out of our power, again, so to speak. It's not a, a right to be fought for. It's a, it's a gift that uh, that um, we're fortunate to to receive. So, <clears throat> so if we hear his name, we lose our piety. That will be good for us. It doesn't mean we'll become impious. But but if we chant his name, then and he said you'll you'll commit impiety. You'll become impious. <coughs> so there's a kind of impiety hmm, in the Braj Lila, the Lila of Krishna. A, the gopis appear to be. Impious, so that kind of impious, that kind of sudarachar. It's said in the Gita, apichad sudaracharo Someone who is a sadhu but has bad behavior shouldn't be thought of in terms of the bad behavior, but rather in terms of their being a sadhu. Bhakti Vinod Thakur uh, gave a unique uh, rendering of this verse. The next verse is, Chipram Bhavati Dharma, you'll become pious yourself which is a small thing, if you glorify the impiety, apparent impiety, of one who is properly situated in terms of their heart, loving Krishna. And he gave the example, of course, of the highest ideal. The gopis, their hearts are with Krishna. They appear to be impious, giving up their families and uh, their... Uh, so-called husbands in the context of the leela, the drama, and so forth, to unite with Krishna. They appear to be crossing over the Dharma. So that kind of impiety, if you glorify that, then, uh, which is actually supra-religious, supra-good, if you will, transcending uh, by far uh, impiety and, and piety as well, then you'll become, in the least you'll become pious, if not more. So, um, <clears throat> Vasudev was pious, in his, and he had all good qualities. He was truthful. Truthfulness is a good quality. But he was prepared to forego truthfulness for the service of, um, of Krishna. Hmm? So, he wasn't, when it all came down, he wasn't about to give the eighth son uh, to to Kamsa to be killed, although he promised that he would. So sometimes there may be instances where uh, great saints uh, do something uh, where where the call of service um, in, in the absolute interferes with the relative. The two are often run along parallel lines, but sometimes they go in opposite directions. We have to choose the absolute. And if we're too attached to piety, we can't, we can't do that. Hmm. It can be a problem. Hmm. Um, we're not advocating impiety, but if you're faced with a situation like that, that will be the, that will be the choice to make. Hmm. 
So Vasudev did this. He lied, actually. Mm. He, uh, yeah, but he, he was so really truthful, which real truth means what? To be dedicated to the truth. <laughs> um, because we can find even truthfulness among thieves who want to divide the loot honestly. So what is that? What kind of honesty is that? It's based on stolen goods in the first place. So material life is something like that. We're all thieves to one extent or another. We're all takers of things that really don't belong to us. And then we talk about honesty within the context of that. So it's really only a shadow of the actual quality. Real truth means to align oneself with the with the whole truth. Hmm? The truth is, well, we're different from the body. Hmm? We're consciousness. And the identity we've formed based on false proprietorship, ownership, and attachment is, is, uh, is a sham, actually. So our honesty, our truthfulness, within that is something like the honesty amongst thieves who want to divide the money honestly or fairly. Hmm? I don't mean that we should be dishonest. We should be honest, as, uh, materially speaking, as well, but there's something more to truthfulness, the point is, than that. Hmm? The truthfulness is that the attachment of Vasudev to, his, to Krishna that's real truth because we all belong to Krishna. So he's committed in this way, but he acknowledges, I, I, in a sense, I'm, this is where I belong. This is where my, my, um, my commitment lies. And any other commitment can be broken. Hmm. And if this one is not broken and this one is met, then... There's no loss. This is a, this is this is what something about shraddha, which is, means faith, for bhakti involves. You have to have this to really successfully tread the path. You have to have this sensibility. Hmm? Therefore, Krishna says at the end of the Gita, "Sarva dharman pratyaja mamikam sarvam braja." He's basically saying this: hmm? "Sarva dharman pratyaja." Throw all the dharma out the window. He said, "Sarva dharma, all the." You know, righteousness, and so you can forget about all that. Hmm. And come to me. And aham tvam saiva papi moksha There will be no repercussions for the apparent sins that you may pop, that you may, that papa means sin, that you may commit from the dharmic perspective hmm, in the context of uh, serving me. It doesn't mean that we commit impious activities to serve Krishna, but it means that Krishna's bhakti transcends the realm of cause and effect, good, piety and impiety, the results of karma. It's it's all, uh, you know, you may be in solitary confinement or you may even be given a position within the prison of some responsibility over other prisoners, but you're still in the prison however good of a prisoner you are or however bad of a prisoner. It's relatively speaking better to be a good prisoner than a bad one. But there's a world beyond prison altogether. It's the idea. So he demonstrates this point here. He tells the 
he, and he's so he's known, and notably he's known for being pious as well. He's a Vaishnava, but he has all good character. It's not that he's always lying and cheating. He always has good character. Therefore, Kamsa thought this guy's never going to tell a lie. This guy said he's going to give me the sons, so I have nothing to worry about. And what can I, if I have the sons as children, as infants? Then how can they affect me? I can lock them up or kill them or whatever. This is how he thought. So he had a reputation of being completely pious, but he shows also in the Leela there's something more than that in terms of what it means to be truthful. There's relative truth and there's absolute truth. So we should understand them accordingly and attach ourselves to the absolute truth, even if from other vantage points that becomes irresponsible or um, whatever, dysfunctional, it could be anything, <laughs> or un- untruthful here. <sighs> so, um, then, here, again, Bhagavan Api Vishvatma, Bhagavan, who's the soul of the soul of everybody, he, um, he, advised hmm, his Shakti, Yogamaya, hmm, um, in order to protect the, the Adus, who this Kamsa was now uh, uh, causing havoc amongst. What happened was, well, Vasudev gave the, his, his word he'd deliver the sons and uh, so Kamsa thought he had nothing to fear. Nonetheless, Narada, who's a Rishi, went to Kamsa and told him, you know, here's the facts. You may think that you've got nothing to worry about, but I just came back from a conference amongst the, the gods and goddesses, and they're all planning to, uh, to send denizens from heaven uh, to take birth in the Yadu uh, dynasty. Hmm? And um, you know, in, in, a, in a covered, in a hidden way, and with a view to you know overthrow you, and um, and so you can't trust anybody out there. He told them, you don't know who, who any you know, any one of them could be one of the gods, and you're a demon. So this is a problem for you. Zonard advised him. He's uh, in a kind of a Samadarshina view. Well, you know, he's in a demonic dress, and the devotees are in a, and the, the gods are in a godly dress. But he just told the truth regardless. He said, "Here's here's what's going on." And of course, he had his own motive for doing so. He wanted to augment the uh, the birth of Krishna, make sure it happened. Um, he was eager for Krishna's appearance, so he wanted to give Kamsa some um, knowledge that would cause him to um, kind of, from a negative perspective, be a greater negative impetus for the appearance of the God, it would be by becoming more of a nemesis. 
So this tells us that there, there, while there is positive impetus for spiritual life, there is negative impetus as well. And usually we, we, the negative impetus at a certain point will take, take precedence because there's a lot of it. There's a lot of uh, reasons to move away from our present uh, preoccupations. They're troubling and so forth. And um, others always aren't that helpful as well. So sometimes we have to change our company and our own friends and families. So there are many instances where they become negative impetuses. We told the story of Prabhupada the other day on, when we commemorated the day of his leaving India and sailing to America and how his wife had sold his Bhagavatam, which was, you know, there weren't that many books around in those days. And that was a very dear thing to him. He was away on a trip and his wife sold the Bhagavatam for uh, tea biscuits, to get tea biscuits. So he said, it's either tea or me. I mean, <laughs> and I'm into the Bhagavatam. So <laughs> he just walked out one day, that's it. Uh, Nobody knew where where did he go. <laughs> so um, he began this uh, outreach that wanted to one extent another has us all here today, taking this Krishna Bhakti to outside of India and so forth, um, based on his attachment to the Bhagavatam and the negative impetus in this instance from his wife who couldn't appreciate it. She thought, well, it's, you know, Hubby's not providing that much. I need some. We need tea biscuits here. This is just a book, you know. He's absorbed in because he's absorbed in this book. He doesn't work enough or whatever. <laughs> provide enough, so uh, let's get rid of the book. Well, she didn't know how much he was into the book, and off he went, right? And then he printed his own books, and now the thousands of the Bhagavatam is available. He wanted to see them everywhere, you know, distributed everywhere. This is how attached he was to the Bhagavatam. One. His one instance in his life of having his soul Bhagavatam sold, traded, sold for money to buy tea biscuits. He made a campaign the rest of his life to make the Bhagavatam available to every, every possible person, practically. So, uh, our good fortune. Her tea, pension for tea, was our good, uh, good fortune. Her attachment to tea, negative, kind of, from a negative perspective. So, at any rate, Nard wanted him to, um, Incite this comes a little bit more, and so he he began, to, and he had confidence that as the leela unfolded, everything would be resolved. Uh, so, Kamsa arrested Devaki and Vasudev, and uh, he became really paranoid. Again, thinking that anyone could be a god or a goddess in disguise here, and he locked up his own father and put him in prison, and um, and people fled from Mathura and so forth. Meanwhile, some devotees stayed with Kamsa, with their own, with waiting to see Krishna. For, they knew that Krishna would appear, and they were waiting, and they pretended to be in allegiance to him. And so, some people stay in this con. They pretend to have allegiance, something like. That. Anyway, so uh, other people. Leave. So. Um, uh, now, um, we have Bhagavan speaking to his Shakti, hmm? Yoga Maya here. This is the, uh, a 
principle, a, a, an important point of the Gaudiya theology that, that the Godhead has Shakti. Shakti means like power, like energy, like potency, something like that. By which um, so many things are accomplished. And these Shaktis are innumerable, but the principal Shaktis are divided into three. So we have what might be called external Shakti, internal Shakti, and the in-between Shakti. Excuse me. So the external Shakti is, is, is Maya Shakti that conducts the affairs of this world, which constitutes bewilderment of the Atma. The Atma is the in-between Shakti here. Who, which can reside under the influence of the Maya Shakti, external Shakti, or can flourish under the influence of the internal Shakti of Bhagwan. Another name for that is called Tatasta, and Tata means beach. It speaks of the line that demarks water from land. So there's a line there, but you can't really put your finger on it, right? Because you're either going to get wet or dry. So it's a way of saying that we are largely a product of our environment. In other words, we we're, we take on the color according to our associations. Hmm? We're kind of neutral in a sense, um, but um, if we associate with the Maya Shakti, then we become like matter. Hmm? Limited, we seem to not endure. Huh? Um, and so forth. If we associate with the Swarup Shakti, the internal Shakti, then which is of the nature of consciousness rather than matter. So there's a likeness there. Hmm? We can flourish in that situation. On land, we're like the fish out of water. Uh, under the influence of the Maya Shakti, under the influence of the Swarup Shakti, like a fish in the water, something like that. Hmm. So the Swarup Shakti holds our potential where we can flourish. Hmm. We are what we are in this, under the influence of the Swarup Shakti only in potential. Hmm. So we are, we are in the becoming stage of our uh, being upon arriving at which we'll continue to become in that context, as we've been discussing more and more, um, um, participating in the in the becoming of the absolute, which is the ongoing becoming of the ultimate being, which is a result of this kind of interaction between uh, the, the, the bhakti and bhagwan. Hmm? This bhakti is this internal energy, and so it it's it's shining on Bhagwan, on the Absolute, in such a way as to bring out things in the Absolute that, um, that just like a, you know, like a, a young lady can bring out things in a young man that he didn't know he had, you know, he feels better and uh, more confident and, and uh, so on. Um, therefore, she's sometimes called the better half. Uh, uh, so this internal shakti of the absolute uh, is this is what we call Bhagwan. So there's Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagwan. Three kind of phases 
of the Absolute, moments in the life of the Absolute, the Brahman moment, this eternal moment, the Paramatma moment, the, the existing moment, the knowing moment, the ecstasy moment. And there's a little ecstasy and there's a little knowing in the being and there's being and a little ecstasy in the knowing element or moment and there's a lot of ecstasy and being and knowing in the ecstasy moment. In other words, as I've said before, you could exist but not be cognizant of your existence. Right? Not aware of it. Like we say, as humans, we're aware that we exist. And we question whether less complex forms of life are aware that they exist. Right? And start to philosophize about it. You know, they do in the cartoons and so forth. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we do it all the time. So, human consciousness is unique. It's not really different, in our estimation, from the consciousness that animates other forms of life, but the vehicle, the human vehicle, is different. So it facilitates its coming out more. And so, anyway, the point is that there could be an existence that wasn't aware of itself, but you can't be aware of yourself and not exist. So if we add the cognitive factor, then we have to have the existential factor as well. Now, you could be aware that you exist, but you might not be aware of why you exist, or, or your existence might not necessarily be blissful. But if your existence is blissful, and of course we think that's the purpose of existence, no purpose. If your existence is blissful, you have to be aware of it, and you have to exist, right? So if you have, so if you have bliss, you have to have cognizance, and you have to have existence. Bhagavan means all, all three of these in full. There's a, there's a moment in the Absolute that, that's predominantly cognizant. There's some bliss there, and obviously existence. And there's a moment in the Absolute that's primarily existential and minimal in terms of cognizance and, and, um, and ecstasy. So, Bhagavan, Paramatma, and Brahman. And there are different approaches to these different aspects uh, of the Absolute. It's an interesting concept. Um, but uh, as if we are like a particle of Brahman, we can see that existence, a particle of real existence, enduring existence, I mean, can be uncognizant of itself, like I said, in certain forms of life. Hmm? Now, as humans, we are cognizant that we exist. We're looking for the purpose. Why? And the purpose is we exist for ecstasy. That's why. So, um, as we have these moments, so to speak, so there's these moments in the Absolute. Brahman, Paramatma, and, um, and Bhagwan. And Bhagwan is being the the emphasis being on an cognitive existence that's ecstatic. It's so ecstatic. The ecstasy is so prominent in that, that what? That we find in the full expression of Bhagwan, Krishna, that he, his cognizance starts to be overclouded by the ecstasy. Hmm? Krishna's forgetful that he's the, the ultimate being. Hmm? 
ecstasy takes precedence. He wonders about his existence. He thought that he was the king of love, but when he saw Radha's love that exceeded anything he ever experienced, he, he had an existential crisis. So you see, since if you go down the ladder a bit, Paramatma feature of the Bhagavan, which oversees the world, knows everything, is in every atom, this idea of God, in every heart, everywhere. Cognizance is predominant. His Leela is Vishnu's Leela is called Srishti Leela, the Leela of the world, the coming and going of the world. There's not a lot of ecstasy in that world. Hmm? Hmm. <laughs> He's the soul of existence, supporting the whole thing, but the Leela itself is not, um, uh, from our perspective anyway, not blissful. The whole of Christian Leela, every aspect of it is bliss. Every Every movement is as we were talking about the other day, is, is, is ecstasy, different types of ecstasy and so forth. Mm. Brahman then, you know, this is the undifferentiated, absolute, so, mm. we find the particles of Brahman like ourselves, unknowing at certain points, even, although existing. So, anyway, uh, this, it's this, these, in one sense, these phases or moments in the Absolute are can also be thought of as phases or moments in the Absolute that um, exhibit more or less influence of the Shakti. So Bhagavan is, is animated by the Shakti. That's Krishna. Radha is making Krishna dance, so to speak. He says that uh, Ami Guru... Ameshesha Guru Natta Radhikar Prema Unmata that the Prema of Radha drives me mad I am her student and uh, she is my my teacher hmm? so this internal Shakti then this we want this, the ingress of this into our lives that will give us standing in, in the Leela in an ecstasy, in, an ex, in a cognitive existence that's uh, um, dominated by by ecstasy. So here, there's a aspect of that shakti being mentioned. Yoga Maya. It's a Maya usually means illusion, and yoga is supposed to get you out of illusion. So the the proximity of the two is is curious affair. So it's a kind of a it speaks of a kind of a bewilderment an illusion that is the sum and substance of knowledge. In other words, the love is the end of all knowledge. Krishna Leela is, is, uh, is the heart of the Absolute. There we find Krishna so much in love that he seems to be an illusion. He forgets that he's God. Hmm? in order for that intimacy to take place. So that's a yoga maya, a kind of a divine ignorance. So she conducts the internal affairs, and a partial manifestation of hers, the maya shakti, conducts the affairs of this world. Through through the guru parampara, which brings bhakti, this swarup shakti comes and influences our lives, and yoga maya is, like a, as I say, like an aspect of that, and so forth. So she's again mentioned here, 
and she's told by Bhagawan that you should, uh, what did he tell her? Hmm? He ordered her as follows, that um, oh, that you, uh, you are my potency and uh, that's what I want you to do. I want you to a Partial manifestation of myself, Amsabhagena, has taken seat in the womb of Devaki after the six sons have been killed, which are the lust, anger, greed, and so forth, uh, envy, uh, and um, and this is the partial manifestation of Ram, who conducts the what's called Sudasattva, pure existence, where all of these leelas take place. We live in a Mishra existence, a mixed existence. We are pure consciousness, but we are mixed up with matter at the present. Uh, it's kind of like the ocean and the gulf and the ocean with oil in the gulf. It's a problem. The oil doesn't really mix with the water, but it becomes problematic. They try to scrape it off the top and stuff like that. But So... The mixture of matter and consciousness—they don't really mix. We don't become partially material, but we like flow along with, like oil on the ocean, something like that. We can be taken off. The, the dirt can be taken off. The maya can be taken off, and the pure water of our selves remains. Hmm? But presently, we're in—you know—we're in the Gulf here. There's a, you know, huge leak. <laughs> And um, this is called Mishrasattva, mixed existence. And Ram conducts the, presides over the Suddhasattva, pure existence, where all these leelas take place and so forth. So this is a leela, right? Krishna's going to take birth in the world. Hmm? So um, the, 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 the Cheta Dharpana Marjam has to be taken place, the cleansing of the heart of Devaki has taken place. All this other elements have left, and uh, in that, in the context of her bhakti, her thinking about Krishna becoming her child. Hmm? Really, she wasn't thinking that Krishna would become her child. She's thinking, God will become my child, as an advent in the world. Hmm? God will become my child. This is extraordinary. Hmm? And so some kind of bhakti there. Some bhakti, good bhakti, but her bhakti is a little mixed with Aishvarya. She never prayed for Krishna to be her son. She prayed that oh, uh, God will. Uh, there was a prediction: God will become her son. So she was meditating on that. That's her bhakti, and this bhakti is then taking out the first thing it's doing is taking out all the foreign elements, cleaning up all the oil, hmm? getting rid of that, hmm? and then at a certain point, which is sufficiently clean, this. Ram comes, hmm? and um, Sattva manifests. So he said, this part of myself as Ram has incarnated there. I want you to transfer him to the womb of Rohini. Now we're this becoming more complicated. We're being taken by Rohini on a horse to the village. All this is taking place in the city of Mathura. Hmm? Meanwhile, in the outskirts of the city, the rural area, there are these milk people, right? Cowherd people. We heard earlier that Vasudev's father, hmm, 
was one of two sons born from two different wives, a Kshatriya wife and a, and a Vaishya wife. So a royal wife from a ro- royal lineage and a wife from a... Um, agriculturalist, uh, animal husbandry type, you know, preoccupied uh, group. Hmm? And um, so Vasudev, who's the father of Devaki, giving birth to Krishna, his father had a half-brother, and that half-brother was named Parjanya. He went to Vrindavan, he was, it means rain cloud, so he was the rain, kindness and generosity and so forth and so on. And, and he had five sons and one of his sons, they were all named from the Sanskrit root Nanda. Nanda means bliss. So there was Upananda, Sunanda, Nandana, uh, and Nandan, uh, Nanda, and uh, so on. So anyway, they were all, and then, and then from the middle son, Nanda, um, Krishna is also born. Now he's got two births, so this is getting a little complicated. But on the horse of Rohini, we have to go go to go to this pasture and take a break a bit, a moment, from what's been going on in Mathura, hmm? all these events. Because meanwhile, something else on the basis of another kind of bhakti hmm, has been percolating in this cowherd village. Hmm, with the birth of Nanda, Nanda became the king. He was not the eldest son. The eldest son was Upananda, who would normally have gotten the, uh, the, the have the kingdom passed of the cowherds passed on to him. But as his first act. As the king, he said, my younger brother is more qualified, so I passed the crown to him. Everyone was happy about this. He said, after all, I am only Upananda, a little Nanda in comparison. And so this Nanda had so many good qualities. And his wife, Yashoda, Yasho means fame. Hmm? Da means Yashoda, to give fame. Hmm? Devaki is the wife of Vasudeva and the mother of Krishna in Mathura. Jashoda is the mother of Krishna in Vrindavan. But this is a secret. Hmm? Krishna is known in the Upanishads as the son of Devaki. Devaki, Devaki Sutta, Devaki Putra. Hmm? Uh, so, <clears throat> ideas, it's complicated, but... Um, Wherever there is more parental affection, hmm, wherever there is more love for the son, then the mother is more present. There may be a circumstance where you have a son and he becomes a kamsa. Hmm, you know, it's hard. You know, I mean, we read about him in the papers. Some guy does some something horrible, and they go and interview his mother. You know. Well, that must be painful. Son does something, you know, horrible, gets on CNN, he's being put in jail, and they ask the mother, you know, about him and so forth. So, you may have a son who becomes a kamsa. Meanwhile, a neighborhood boy may be uh, always coming over and cutting the lawn and helping out and so forth. And so it's possible that uh, 
that um, uh, if we were to measure by the law of affection, we could say the neighbor boy is more your son than than the blood relative. In other words, what really it connects us to one another more than the blood, if you will, is our affection. Usually the two are parallel, but not necessarily, not always. <laughs> so um, we find in these cowherds, Nanda and Yashoda, Yashoda, who gives fame, we find a greater affection, a different kind of bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti not mixed with any Aishvarya, any sense that Krishna is God. Hmm? Devaki wanted to have God as a son. Yashoda never thought like that. Nanda never thought like that. They were the king of the cow, king and queen of the cowherds, and and everything was just great. I mean, they were just uh, so magnanimous and kind, and everyone was so happy, and uh, everything was perfect except for one thing: that Nanda didn't have a son, and they were getting on, you know, in age, and um, so it was a kind of it started to become a problem that just became bigger and bigger year after year. And it started to go in the direction of some kind of a depression. The whole of the Brudge, the pastor area and forest people started to go into into a depression. Hmm? Let me see. This is how this Leela works. It goes in a circle. goes around and around. Hmm? They started to be depressed and, and, and they had this like negative impetus. We call it in this context some kind of... Uh, Mm. Viog or um, Vipralamba. Hmm? Yog, Viog, union and separation. Love works like this. It's, uh, sometimes there's union, sometimes we're separated. Hmm? Union and separation. And the separation is said to make the heart grow, grow fonder, so it fosters union. Hmm? Um, so, Krishna Leela goes in a circle like this. Here we find the Nanda and Yashoda and all the inhabitants of Vrindavan are starting to overcome by an impression, by a depression. And there's a longing for a son, a longing for a son, like in separation, you, you, the heart grows fonder, that kind of, as I said, so there's a longing for a son. Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda are thinking, yes, we should have a son, but we don't have a son and the people are Every, everybody's longing for Krishna's appearance. It's all under the; these people are all under the influence of Yoga Maya. So it's a whole drama. They don't know what they're doing. In, in, in one sense, they're just absorbed in it, in, in Krishna Lila. and so that it's 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 already happened. It's always happening, always happening at every moment, somewhere. Like it's always noon somewhere, right? It's just where we are. It's not. Always noon, but it's always noon somewhere. So this leela is always going on somewhere in some heart somewhere. It's going on. Hmm? It's always manifest, hmm? and at some time it comes manifest like in a big way outside of the heart in the world, something like that. And this is all conducted by this internal energy for the sake of showcasing the Leela outside, as it's described in the Bhagavatam. So these are all the players in the Leela. They're manifest in the world. Like it was said, well, Brahma was told by the earth taking the shape of a cow, 
I'm overburdened by people not conducting themselves in terms of what the human life really affords them the opportunity to do, to be spiritual, it's a problem for me. Here I'm the earth, I'm giving all the time, and they're just taking instead of learning the lesson that they should give and be full, and so it's a burden to me. So um, Brahma says, okay, see what I can do about it. He communicates in meditation with Vishnu. Vishnu says, I'll take care of things. I'm going to come, I'm going to appear on earth and tell the denizens of the heaven and so forth who have all been doing sadhana in their past life and haven't perfected it and have gone to heaven now to take birth on earth. And the Krishna is going to manifest on earth in Vrindavan, where he already is, invisibly. And he's going to manifest that we discuss these things. And, and inside of Krishna, all the avatars are. Inside of his associates, all those who have are pursuing that kind of ecstasy, motherly ecstasy, friendly ecstasy in relation to Krishna, romantic ecstasy, and that cultivation has reached a certain point, they are going to also appear almost like inside those people hmm? or next to those people, to culti- depending on their situation, to cultivate that the last stage of that cultivation. The leelas manifesting on earth. And like I said, this is like a mixing between last night I said the material realm and the spiritual realm, a little different than the, with the realm of ritual, the deity worship. It's a very extraordinary occasion. So here they all, all are longing for, for a son, they're really longing for Krishna, for union with Krishna. Hmm? They're experiencing some separation and it's reached a certain pitch. The whole Braj is depressed in ecstasy. Hmm? And a depression, ecstasy, depression of, an ecstasy of depression. It has all types of ex- expressions, this ecstasy. Hmm? So Nanda Maharaj tells his wife, you know, this is a problem. We should have a son, but Every time I think of having a son, you know, we're devotees of Narayan. Hmm? We worship Narayan, we're Vaishnavas, but every time I think of having a son, I think I should have a son who's more beautiful than Narayan. I get this vision of, of a son who's more qualified, more charming in every way than Narayan, and I realize, <laughs> that's not possible. Hmm? How can you have a son who's more beautiful than God? Hmm? Um, and she says, I have the same dream. He said, no, no wonder we're not having a child yet. You know, we got, we're like, this is our thinking. So this is a difference now between Yashoda's thinking and Devaki's thinking. Devaki's thinking, I want to have God as my, I want to be the bearer of the incarnation. Hmm? And I have parental affection in a more general way and knowledge that, that my son is, is an incarnation. Shoda's not thinking like that. She's not thinking she wants to have God as her son. She's thinking, I want a son, a full son, but I just want him to be more charming than God. That's like crazy, she thinks. And her husband says, yeah, I've got the same problem. So they decide, well, what should we do? We should worship Narayan. He's our deity anyway. Hmm? Kind of ostensibly, he's a deity. And... Um, We'll, we'll perform a vow. So they performed a, a vow for one for one year. So this is all going on in the pasture. While on the other side over here, um, uh, Vasudeva and Devaki are imprisoned by Kamsa. Their children have been killed, and one after another by Kamsa. And now the seventh child has been transferred by Vishnu's uh, arrangement from from the womb of Devaki. Hmm? To the, to the womb of 
Rohini, who rides on a horse, she's the other wife of Vasudev, out of Mathura, escaping, and into the um, pasture to hide this this her her birth of Ram. It's getting complicated, but uh, <laughs> but the the partial manifestation of Ram that went into the womb of Devaki did his work to arrange for Krishna's appearance. He, he manifested the Sudha Sattva. Actually manifested, yeah, manifested the Sudasattva, so to speak. Then, so then his work is done, so he's taken out. Now Krishna can go from the mind of Vasudev into the mind of Devaki. And when their, their minds are fully absorbed in this idea, then it starts to take shape physically and so forth. All this under the arrangement of Yoga Maya, it's a very special arrangement. So meanwhile, this amsa of, of Ram is taken and put into Rohini's womb, who's the real mother of Ram. So, just a few days. So, anyway, Nanda and Yasoda are worshiping uh, Narayan with a vow to have a son. And as we'll hear, Narayan ultimately gives the blessing. And meanwhile, just before that, Ram is, is born. So, there's two sides of this going on at the same time. And, and they are very much about two different. Uh, types of bhakti. Bhakti mixed with jnana or with some knowledge of the godhood of Krishna and bhakti devoid of that. We call it jnana shunya bhakti. Hmm? And by analysis of bhakti, so to speak, and ecstasy, it's determined that Krishna in the, in the, in the, in the, in the pasture as opposed to the Krishna appearing in in Mathura is the more full Krishna, more full because of the fullness, in this instance, of the parental, parental bhakti, the parental affection. So we just showed it. She's the, she becomes what appears to be the foster mother hmm, of Krishna. Because uh, we, as we'll hear after Krishna is born, Kamsa, Vasudev, didn't deliver the eighth son to Kamsa. He broke his word. He took the son over to Vrindavan. Hmm? As it, there's more to it than this, but exchanged her for the daughter of Vishoda. Daughter is this Yoga Maya. She disappears. She becomes invisible in Vrindavan, conducting all the affairs invisibly, like a shadow around Krishna. Whatever Krishna's desires, she manifests the facility for it to be experienced and so forth, to become a reality. Hmm? Invisibly, she's there. Visibly, she goes to the prison house of Kamsa, and suddenly the eighth son is a daughter. What happened? It was supposed to be a son. And then she shows herself to Kamsa in terms of Mahamaya, who deals with uh, the, the, the bewilderment in this world and ignorance and so forth. She makes various predictions to Kamsa, what will become of him, and so on and so forth. And meanwhile, Krishna has apparently been transferred to to Vrindavan. Hmm. Um, and so, there's a little more to this, I'll tell it another day, but relative to the point of Jashoda, the giver of fame, and Devaki, it's known everywhere that Krishna is the son of Devaki, and he's transferred to Vrindavan to become the foster son of Jashoda. But by the law of affection, he's more the son 
and he's more fully manifest in reciprocation to her praying hmm, than he than he is when he appears in Mathura relative to the prem, to the particular kind of love of Devaki. Each love is perfect hmm, for each devotee. Still, there's a there's a gradation at the same time. It's a subjective experience that's perfect for each devotee, but objectively speaking, we find more qualities in Krishna are manifest in Vrindavan than they are in Mathura, and this relative to the measure of of the love that that that, that requires more um, reciprocation. So um, here it's mentioned that. Ram, a partial manifestation of Ram will go in the womb of Devaki. She will be transferred by Yogamaya. Yogamaya will appear as the daughter of Krishna in Vrindavan, of, of Yashoda in Vrindavan. And um, the partial then manifestation of Krishna will appear hmm, in the womb of Devaki. Hmm. By way of saying that I will appear partially in the womb of Devaki, it means Devaki's bhava, her ecstasy or prem, will be um, mixed with some Aishvarya. Yashodas hmm? hmm? will not. Yashoda will give the fame. Yashoda will give fame to Devaki. So Devaki is famous all over the world as the son, as the mother of Krishna. Hmm? She'll give the fame for that to her as long as she can actually be the full, <laughs> the real, the full mother of Krishna in full, fuller sense of the, of the term. Hmm? So, um, now, so these two leelas are going on simultaneously in relation to the birth of Krishna. And they, they talk about different types of bhakti. We'll find later on when Krishna leaves Vrindavan and goes to Mathura to slay Kamsa after, uh, about 11, after about, at about 11 years old, Vasudev and Devaki, they see him kill Kamsa. Well, they, he scares Balaram and him scare these wrestlers to death, especially Kamsa. And um, and so they're they're awed by their son, and their parental affection is withdrawn. It's like we find in the Gita. Krishna shows the universe inside himself, and Arjuna goes, "Whoa! I was like your friend, and you're like God. Whoa!" <laughs> so his friendly love recedes a little of the background and is affected by the Aishvarya, whereas in Vrindavan. Yashoda one day looks inside Krishna's mouth and he, he, Balaram complains, Krishna's eating dirt. And so she said, what are you doing eating dirt? No, I'm not eating dirt. Well, okay, open your mouth. Let's see. So she opens, he opens his mouth and she looks inside and she sees a whole universe inside. And inside that universe she sees the planet Earth and she sees her village Vrindavan and she sees herself looking inside Krishna's mouth. And then she looks further, and inside that she sees a whole universe, and she sees the earth, and she sees Vrindavan, and she sees, you know, infinitely. She says, sees herself looking in Krishna's mouth, and she thinks, wow, fascinating. Hmm. But she never, <laughs> she just thinks Krishna's my son, you know. And Narayan does these strange things through him, you know, which some people are find fascinating, but to me it's just an aspect of my son. So her, her parental affection never never recedes. 
However much Aishvarya or godliness Krishna may show in Vrindavan, the inhabitants there, the devotees there, are unaffected by that. They're, they're not like Arjuna. They could see, they, they, when the cowherds saw Krishna lifting over down hill, they said, I think you need some help. They put their sticks up to help him. Hmm? Arjuna, because his love is mixed, his friendly love is mixed with Aishvarya, then he would have, he would have fainted. Oh my God, like he did in the Kurukshetra. So, this is, uh, some of the, one of the ways in which the power of their love is explained. And this is important because this preem corresponds with Krishna. The type of preem that he developed will determine the, the way in which the Godhead manifests before us. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was encouraging us to taste this Braj preem. Hmm? Uh, there you can find the Godhead on such intimate terms. It's mind-blowing, you know, staggering, something like that. So, all along now, anyway, we've been talking about the Dwarka, or the Matura Leela, Krishna's birth in the prison house of Kamsa, so it hasn't quite happened yet, but um, now, at this point, we've been introduced to the Brajliya So and the rest of our talks will have to be going back and forth between the two. We stopped there for today. Any question? Yes. Um, so was it Yoga Maya that made Yashoda say, not react to seeing the universe as not? Well, uh, yeah, you can say that. The influence of Yoga Maya in the context of that kind of brain. Hmm? It's a it, it's a it's a a divine like I said a divine ignorance so they're placed in a divine ignorance. Yoga Maya. This is also sometimes Yoga Maya is said to have some. Influence in Sambit Shakti. Sambit Shakti is presided is a knowing Shakti, so to speak, in Sudasattva, in pure existence, and it's presided over by Vasudev. But Vasudev is his shadow is Yogamaya. So, so sometimes Yogamaya is spoken of as, as presiding over Sambit. So it's in the full sense of knowing, there's an unknowing in the knowing. <laughs> Without unknowing or, or not knowing that Krishna is God, then you can't have that kind of, the full face of intimacy. You can't actually feel that Krishna is your friend or your son. There would be some inhibiting factor. So it's removed there. What else? Another question? Yes. You just said that um, without um, without not knowing that Krishna is God, that you wouldn't be able to have that those um, loving relationships, friendship, and us. So in this in Golokapurandhan, uh, are you unaware of Krishna's um, being the Godhead? So that way you can interact with him in the same manner. Yeah. Yeah. They think there that Krishna is um, that 
sometimes Narayan does wonderful things through Krishna. Hmm. They don't think that Krishna is God. Hmm. As it was said at the, at the name-giving ceremony, Gargamuni said something like that. Hmm. It can be interpreted that way. And that's the way they interpret it. They always interpret it the way that Krishna is just our son, or Krishna is just our friend. Hmm. From another perspective, he's... He's saying that he's the source of Narayan and so forth, but they interpret it differently because of their prem. Yeah, I mean, what to speak of the devotees not knowing? Krishna forgets. I mean, that's a very extraordinary idea. Ignorance of God, God's ignorance, divine ignorance. But again, for the sake of intimacy, it's it's required. All right, so we we'll stop there. Grantarasimad Bhagavatam ki jai, namaste, 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 nam